Hello. Um, yeah, so we're looking at 1 Kings 19, 1 through to 18, which is on page 361. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and now he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not uh, make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there, where he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. The Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimish, king over Israel, and Mahela to succeed you as prophet. Uh, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel Mahela, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Great. So there are uh, a thousand things that you can get from that passage, but I want to just sort of pull out one, one thing. I think that that is an incredibly comforting passage. Now, uh, that's the main message. That's just, I found a lot of comfort from that. So a little bit of background before I dive into why I find that comforting. So this uh, passage comes directly after Elijah has just performed a miracle. Elijah basically thought he'd started a revolution. He had uh, 
basically challenged the prophet of Baal to a my God is bigger than your God slagging match, where they both uh, performed a sacrifice, and whoever God could set fire to that sacrifice was the better God. And Elijah, despite having poured water over his sacrifice, his God set fire to it, whereas Baal didn't show up. So then Elijah rallies the people around, and he thinks he's won the revolution. This is the start of reclaiming the kingdom of God back for the Israelites. And he gets so excited, this noble prophet, this holy, important man. We can, a couple of verses before this starts, it reads, uh, tucked his cloak into his belt, and he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. He was so excited. He thought he had won something so important that he could not be stopped, and he ran. And then instantly, instantly he gets knocked down. And rather than leading a revolution, leading an army, he gets death threats. Jezebel says that she has, she's not lost. She's not gone. She's going to come, and she's going to kill him. And so Elijah, understandably, gets incredibly depressed. And he's quite angry, and he feels betrayed by God. So he runs away. He runs to the desert to go and find God. But first he begs God to let him die. He begs to die. And what does God do with this depressed man? This man who thought he had won everything, whose great plan had just failed miserably. Does he wipe uh, Elijah's enemies off the face of the earth or rip open the earth and suck them in or send a flood like with Noah to start again no he, uh, he sends him some bread and someone to give him a hug that's basically what it says there was an angel who brought him bread that was basically he comes down and he meets Elijah at this incredibly low point where he is in so much need he doesn't come with a sermon or a talk or a miracle he sends bread. Well, it does come with a miracle, but it's a domestic miracle. It's a miracle that says, you haven't had breakfast today. You need energy. You need to keep up your strength. And then later, God also shows how many ways he could appear to Elijah. He lists them. There was a wind, and then there was an earthquake, and then there was a fire. Now, these are all ways that God had already appeared to people and that God continued to appear to people. I mean, uh, when Joseph saw the burning bush, it was a burning bush, and God was in that. It wasn't a bush that gave out bread. God comes in all of these forms, in all of these miraculous, huge ways. But instead, he chose to meet Elijah in a whisper, in a word, in text and language. And that is truly miraculous that God was no longer, that God was not just huge forces of nature, but knowable and understandable. And that's why I find this so comforting. God is, in a way, to an extent, comprehensible. It's rather like the uh, parable that Jesus tells, where there was a rich man who goes to hell, and he begs, he begs and begs and begs to be sent back to warn his brother and he's told that he can't, that this miracle of sending him back is not going to do anything if the rich man's brother has not engaged 
with the scripture. The rich man's brother had not tried to know God through text. But of course, that doesn't mean that God is only in this document. He's only in language. Now, we know that you know, these are forms that God takes. God is active in the real world. But the point is not that there is only one way to see God. The point is that there are a thousand ways and that God is knowable and real. Now, something that I find really interesting in this passage is that it highlights how important community is because of these many appearances of God, the way God works within the world. It makes it important to be in community and to to see God through other people's eyes. How can I understand God's miraculous healing powers if I don't know somebody who has been through that? How can I understand how Zoe knows God without knowing Zoe first and through that have a richer image of God? And that's ultimate comfort. God is knowable there through text and through the people around us. Now, there's a, there's a second comfort in there. Elijah, he says it word for word twice. It's uh, verse 14. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. He says the same thing twice. It's like, I have done this thing. I have worked really hard. I have tried and tried and tried, and I'm the only one left. I am defeated. God listens to it the first time, and he gives him comfort. Then when he says it again, God basically says, shut up. You are not the only one. This isn't your plan. This is my plan. Your plan has not worked. You, you thought you were starting a revolution. I'm sorry, but you weren't. I'm starting a revolution. You're not the only one. There are 7,000 more of you out there. You are not alone in this. Even though you think you are, you have people. There are 7,000, and I'm going to send you off, and I'm going to set three balls rolling that are going to bring about my plan. So yeah, that is, I think, the most comforting passage I can, I can find. And that's why I wanted to talk about it. This realness of God, this closeness, the relationship of conversation, and the assurance of his plan, the knowledge that God knows what he is doing, even when we can't see it. Thank you. Amen. Thank you so much for those comforting words, Stephen. Let us stand and respond to them in song.